time for Americans to grow up and become financially responsible. Let's talk about something important. If you're in it for the money, that's not a bad thing. Do you realize how much money he just saved us? This is The Financial Physician with Lou Scatigna. The Financial Physician. It's the fastest hour in Money Talk Radio. It's also my pleasure to see to it that decent, hardworking people in this community aren't robbed blind by a pack of money-mad pirates. This is financial advice you can take to the bank. He's your money man. Show me the money. Your source for straightforward, no-nonsense financial advice. Bring me your money questions because I'm here to help. And now, here he is, the financial physician, America's money doctor, Lou Scatigna. Hello, my friends. How are you? And welcome to today's edition of the financial physician, Lou Scatigna here. Thanks so much for joining us. We have a packed show for you today, a really packed show for you today. And uh, it looks like uh, the dam is bursting around the Bidens right now. And uh, the evidence that came out this week was just so overwhelming between FBI and IRS whistleblowers, documents that have been released that the FBI has been sitting on that absolutely implicates the Bidens in at least $10 million uh, worth of bribery, influence peddling. It just couldn't get more clear uh, than it is now. And of course, the corrupt media is doing everything they can to uh, protect the Bidens. We're going to dive deeply into that later on. Also, some fiery uh, uh, stuff on Capitol Hill with uh, Robert uh, Kennedy Jr., uh, boy, they're trying to eat their own. Uh, <laughs> it, it, wait till you hear what I have to play. Uh, some of the audio from that um, that hearing. Uh, the Democrats. I, I can't believe Democrats can go after another Democrat like that. But uh, uh, we'll play that later in the program. Lots to talk about. But what I just want to start off with today is uh, something that kind of went under the radar, and it's something I've talked about in the past, and that's uh, uh, the Federal Reserve launching their Fed Now program. Uh, and they didn't want too much fanfare on this, fanfare on this. Uh, but it's, uh, according to them, this wonderful new product that's coming out that allows financial institutions to uh, instantaneously transfer money. Now, I don't know why this is coming about in 2023. It sounds like something that the banking system should have dealt with a long time ago. Well, I mean, Venmo can do it. Uh, PayPal's been doing it for years. Why can't banks do it? I don't know. But it was launched this week, uh, and uh, 35 banks across the country are participating in the launch. But it's interesting to know that, you know, we have J.P. Morgan Chase, we have Wells Fargo, uh, but notably, we don't see Citigroup or Bank of America participating in this. Uh, so the number is rather low right now, um, but uh, the Fed's trying to uh, persuade all financial institutions to do this. Now, why is this a bad thing? Because this is setting the stage. It's the, it's the infrastructure to bring in central bank digital currencies. And we've talked about that in the past, and a lot of people are talking about it, how it's just another way of government to get control over you. And it's a very, very slippery slope uh, that allows them to basically turn a switch and turn off your money or immediately tax you. Uh, say, they, you know, we're at war now with Russia. It's World War Three. Everybody has to spend uh, 10% of their savings uh, to the war effort. And boom, all of a sudden, your $100,000 account is now 90000 
they could do a lot of things. They can control where you spend it. Uh, say they, you know, they don't like the fact that you're you're, you're donating to conservative cause or to Donald Trump's presidency. He's an insurrectionist. You know, you can't fund that. That's terrorism. And it could be all kinds of penalties uh, that could happen to you. And we'll talk about that a little bit more uh, later on. But, you know, it sounds convenient. But again, as I said, it puts the infrastructure in place. Now, the Fed's moving. Um, I'm going to play for you the commercial that the Federal Reserve just released. Uh, and if this doesn't sound like propaganda to you, you don't have a propaganda radar like I do. I mean, they're trying to make it sound like this is the best thing in the world. Uh, and I'm going to play the entire commercial. It's about two minutes long. But just just have your propaganda radar on and realize that this is, well, it's not the government, but it might as well be. They have more control of you than the government does anyway. Uh, but listen to the Federal Reserve commercial promoting their FedNow uh, program. The world is moving faster and faster. Businesses and consumers alike expect to be able to send and receive money securely and instantly with the click of a button. To meet these expectations, financial institutions need access to a nationwide network for instant payments operating safely and reliably around the clock. The FedNow service is now live. This new infrastructure provides financial institutions of all sizes the ability to provide safe and efficient instant payment services. The FedNow service is the latest development in a 100-year history of Federal Reserve payment innovation. From the FedWire Fund Services to Fed ACH Services and Check21 Enable Services, the Federal Reserve has partnered with the industry to evolve payment platforms, eliminate friction in transactions, and create new opportunities for financial institutions, businesses, and consumers. When the Federal Reserve first introduced FedNow, we knew from the get-go that this was something that we wanted to be part of. The instant settlement nature of it, the 24-7, 365, operating hours, all of those ultimately look like a huge benefit for our customers and our customers' customers. Instant payments help to solve a good number of use cases for our clients. There's a lot of opportunity to get money into hands of people much faster. And then overall, it's a marketing opportunity. Our members in the credit union space want to move money yesterday. So we're building consumer-facing applications on the FedNow service infrastructure that allow money to be moved from one financial institution to another financial institution institution real time. We're able to transfer and settle funds instantly through the Federal Reserve. It's truly an instant payment solution. So you receive instant confirmation and instant settlement. We were really excited to work with the Fed on this new initiative, be at the table to help shape the functionality and bring it out to the broader U.S. financial services industry. The FedNow service is the building box for next generation of payments innovation. A payment network is only as strong and successful as the adoption of the network. Because the FedNow service is being offered by the Federal Reserve, one of the most trusted financial institutions in the U.S., we believe there's going to be a significant amount of adoption. This is just the beginning. In the months and years ahead, we look forward to this nation's banks and credit unions moving forward with this innovative new service. The launch of the FedNow service is the first step in a multi-year journey to build an instant payment network that is accessible to all Americans. 
I don't know about you. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just my conspiratorial mind. Uh, but uh, boy, that sounds like propaganda to me. Uh, everybody said this is the best thing in the world. All financial institutions is going to make our life a lot easier. And you know, this is the way the government works. This is a government strategy. You know, they're going to offer the convenience, quote unquote, or the safety of it. This is good because it'll prevent terrorism and money laundering and things like that. Uh, and then they'll make it voluntary. Uh, you don't have to do it, but then they're going to make it more and more difficult for you to do business with real cash. And then after a while, it'll be impossible to do anything without it. I mean, that's the way government works. Uh, so this is where we're going, and there's no question about it that this is a setup now for the the central bank digital currency. Now, FedNow is not that, okay? It's not that. It's just the superhighway, the gateway, uh, the infrastructure, uh, the first step that needs to be done. You don't drive cars on a highway until you build the road first, and this is the road to do it. Now, uh, when you change a, a nation's currency, it, it doesn't happen overnight. It, it's going to take time f- for this to happen. You know, they just can't put a switch and say, we're all digital right now. Certain things have to happen first. Uh, again, the infrastructure has to be set up. This is the first step to doing that. They got to get people comfortable using the system. And it's got to work. There can't be any glitches in it. And I'm sure there's going to be in the beginning. It's got to be fast. It's got to be convenient. Um, And it's going to take a while to work out any bugs that they may have. And they're going to try to get as many people as possible to voluntarily use it. Now, unless you're not part of the system, you Two people need to be in the system for money to be transferred, just like Venmo. You know, if you don't have a Venmo app, you can't send money to another Venmo person. So everybody has to be in this system to transfer money. So if you're going to get paid from your employer and the only way they're going to pay you is with digital currency, well, you got to be part of the digital currency system. You see how it goes? And, of course, businesses are going to be pushed uh, to only pay their people this way. And... uh, And it's a slow, incremental uh, move towards technological totalitarianism is what it really is. Now, the Bank for International Settlements, uh, just think globalism. Uh, The Bank for International Settlements is the the central banker's central bank. It's the central bank of the world, basically. So you want to talk about all-encompassing power, uh, globalism, one world, money, government, whatever. Well, they wrote a glowing report about the benefits of central bank digital currencies. And I looked at the report, and, and this, this is some of the highlights from the report. Um, central bankers can execute policy or modify rates instantaneously at the push of a button. That doesn't sound good to me. Uh, private cryptocurrencies are bad. Of course, that's what they're going to do. They're going to attack Bitcoin and all these other ones because they want you in their system. Central bank digital currency is good. Central bank digital currencies are better than crypto because they're trusted. Um, CBDCs aren't subject to the practical limitations of paper money, i.e. they can be tracked. Therefore, it protects against money laundering, proliferation financing, and terrorist financing. 
It will increase the pool of data generated on users and transactions, just thus helping the proper authorities. Multi-CBDC platform aids in decentralization. Think global economy. On a common CBDC platform across multiple central banks, transactions are recorded on one ledger. So, uh, obviously, if any of these globalist organizations are for something, you should be against it. Whether it's the World Health Organization, the International Monetary Fund, the World Economic Forum, or in this case, the Bank of International Settlements. So, it looks like we're going to have no choice at some point here. Either you're not going to be able to transact business, pay your bills, or get paid from your company. Uh, unless you're part of this system. And it's uh, it's very Orwellian and very controlling. You'll have absolutely no par- privacy. Can you imagine the government knows every dime you spend on everything under this scenario? And uh, they could do things under the uh, guise of public health. You can't spend more than $50 a week in the liquor store. You can't buy two packs of cigarettes. That's societal health problems. We have to pay for that stuff. You can't buy uh, those salty, fatty snacks. Uh, Obesity is a real problem in this country. Think of the medical tyranny we lived through with the COVID thing and uh, the mandatory experimental vaccine shots that we were being forced to take. Although I didn't take it. Um, But uh, see how they can control you? They could see whoever you donate to, what charities, what political organizations. It's really, really Orwellian. You remember in Canada, you know, when Trudeau locked down the accounts of the people who were supporting the trucker strike? If you remember. You know, you just had you're just uh, one wrong thought away from losing access to our money. What if someone like myself, I say something that's not part of the, the narrative that the, the, the ruling class wants, and I say it on this podcast, and they could penalize me for malinformation. Remember that word, malinformation. RFK Jr. comes out um, and talks about that in his testimony in front of Congress. What is malinformation? Well, he goes on to say malinformation is stuff that's true. But it just doesn't fit the narrative of what the government or the ruling class want. Uh, also, another recent thing, I if you've read about this, uh, about losing access to the financial system, N- Nigel Farage. N- Nigel Farage is a conservative politician in, um, in England, United Kingdom. Both he and his relatives have had bank accounts closed and have been unable to open other accounts because they've been named PEPs. Political, politically exposed persons. Now, if you recall, Farage was one of those people who were pro-Brexit you know, down the line. So uh, Mr. Farage said several other banks had denied him accounts, claimed he was the victim of overzealous anti-money laundering regulations. Anti-money laundering rules appear to have been widely overinterpreted by the compliance departments of the banks in the UK, he wrote. Um, 
Nobody can deny money laundering is a problem, he said. Yet a series of agreements, EU directives, and UK rules established to confront this menace have almost entirely failed to do so. Uh, so he goes on to say that, you know, uh, banks are now live in fear of receiving huge fines. Their default setting seems to close down the business and personal accounts of anybody who's deemed to require extra due diligence. Bottom line is he's conservative. And the bank just closes his account for political reasons. So it's already happening. You know, people are losing access to the financial system for having political beliefs that um, are opposite of what the status quo or, or the government narrative is. And is it really a stretch to think that they can't do it here? The land of cancel culture, right? Um, if you're not with the program, you're canceled, right? How about canceling out your money? What will you do if you can no longer use a bank? How will you cash your paycheck? How are you going to pay your bills? So uh, this is the plan, my friends. So what do you do about it? Well, there's not a whole lot you can do about it. Uh, you could have a significant amount of money in tangible assets like food. Supplies, land, real estate, and precious metals. That's the only way you're going to be out of the system with that stuff. Otherwise, everything else is going to be in their system. All right, we'll keep, we'll keep an eye on that, and I'll, I'll bring you more on that as more and more developments happen um, regarding uh, digital currencies. Uh, there's a little, uh, not too many people know that um, a popular tax break that was afforded for people who are 50 or older with retirement plans is going to vanish for people who make a certain amount of money. And it's not really that high. And I'm talking about the catch-up provisions uh, in a 401k plan. And it allows people who are 50 or older to contribute extra money over and above the limit to their retirement accounts. And the whole aim of this catch-up thing is so, you you know, you're getting closer to retirement. Maybe you haven't saved enough. You could put extra amounts of money in there. So if you're 50 or older, right now you could put $7,500 into your four more, $7,500 more than the limit into your 401k accounts for a total of thirty grand. Sounds good. That should be encouraged, don't you think? But starting next year, depending on your income, they're going to limit the eligibility for you to do so. And it's part of the Secure 2.0 Act, um, which cleared Congress late last year. It has some good things in it, um, but I didn't see this provision in it. Specifically, people who earned more than $145,000 the previous year will no longer be able to make catch-up contributions to their 401k accounts. Instead, they'll only be able to funnel those funds into after-tax Roth IRA accounts. So the, signific the significance of this change is that those higher-earning people, Americans, will end up having to pay taxes on their catch-up contributions up front. And these are years when they're typically in a higher tax bracket. They're making over 145000 So it's a nice little backhand way for the government to get more money out of us. Um, now, 
a number of uh, employers and uh, retirement plan providers and others have asked Congress to delay the implementation of the new rule because they're not ready to handle it. They don't have the infrastructure to see who made what last year and then automatically shut off their ability uh, to put that extra money in their 401k. Uh, And there was 100 signatories to this letter to the House Ways and Means Committee, including Charles Schwab, the National Association of State Retirement Administrators, and Verizon. And they're calling for a two-year delay in implementing the new Roth IRA catch-up rule. And the letter cites an inability on the part of many signatories to adapt their systems to ensure that catch-up contributions will be made on a Roth IRA basis for those earning more than $145,000. All right, so... Again, another, uh, you know, they should be encouraging people to uh, and incentivizing people to put extra money into their retirement plan, uh, but they're doing just the opposite with this. Uh, If you recall, this is the same act that raised the required minimum distribution age um, from 70 and a half uh, to 73, uh, then ultimately um, uh, to 75 uh, if you're born in 1960 or earlier. So that's a good thing. And, and most of the things in this act were good. Uh, but uh, I uh, stumbled upon this in, uh, in my research. I didn't know about this limitation. It doesn't affect IRA accounts where you could put an extra $1,000 in, but it just does uh, substantially affect um, 401k applications, uh, 401k uh, contributions. Uh, when you go into a recession, almost all recessions – you have a credit crunch, a tightening of credit where businesses and individuals have a harder time getting approved for credit. And we're starting to see that now. Banks are really tightening their lending standards. A, they're seeing a flight of deposits as, as money is leaving the banking system. A, because of fear of its failure. And you know we saw earlier this year all the problems in the banking system. And by the way, they haven't gone away. They're just being masked over by the Federal Reserve, which is providing a tremendous amount of liquidity to banks. Uh, But you'll see they have a a big problem going forward, uh, and this financial bank crisis is not over. Uh, But uh, banks are now tightening their lending standards. They're looking for credit scores over 700 or 725 to get a car loan, to get a mortgage. Uh, Corporations are having a hard time uh, securing financing. And now we're seeing... um, we're seeing two, two uh, articles came out this week that, that illustrate this. Uh, New York Fed reports surge in credit application rejections. The New York Federal Reserve Bank said more Americans had their credit applications rejected last month at levels not seen in years. Uh, the New York Fed reported that the overall rejection rate for credit applicants rose to its highest level since June 2018 standing at 21.8%, a jump from 17.3% in February. Uh, And they say that the application rejection rate was broad-based across all age groups and the highest among those with credit scores below 680. Uh, Rejection rates for auto loans came in at 14.2% from 9.1% in February, the highest on record since 2013. And we're also seeing um, uh, 21.5% uh, rejection for credit card applications, 30.7% rejection for increasing your credit limit, uh, and 13.2% rejections for mortgages, 
uh, and uh, a 20.8% for mortgage refinance requests. So you could see that, you know, the banks are now tightening credit. And why is that so important? Because right now Americans are struggling. They've, they've spent all their savings, their stimulus money. It's all gone due to inflation. Their wages haven't kept pace with the rising prices of everything. So they've drained their savings, and now many Americans are using credit cards to make up the difference. And they're running out of their credit limit. It's pretty scary, right? It's scary to have to use credit cards in the first place, but to have your credit limit um, hit your credit limit, you can't borrow anymore. That puts you in a tough place. And if you can't use your credit card, you can't spend money. And since the consumer is 70% of the economy, when you have tightening credit, it causes the economy to slow down or enter recession. And that's what we're seeing now. Uh, Even more uh, um, concerning is uh, this article. Credit scores abruptly plunge as Americans stop paying down debt. Uh, synchrony financial warrants. Over the past few years, tens of millions of consumers witnessed a remarkable increase in their credit scores, primarily due to helicopter money dished out by the federal government, rock-bottom interest rates, and a pause on student loan payments. However, the party has come to an abrupt end as credit scores plunge. What we are seeing is people who are doing significant score migration. A 680 or 690 is going to 620. Synchrony Financial CFO Brian Wenzel said in an interview. Folks who had paid down debt, their scores had gone up, and now they're reverting back to more normal performance, meaning that they're not paying down their debt. They're just increasing it. Um, So, again, people are using credit cards to make ends meet, which means their credit utilization is going up. What's that? Say you have a $10,000 credit limit on a credit card, and you only have $2,000 on the balance. Well, your credit utilization is only 20%. That's good for your credit score. The less credit utilization you have, the better. Now, say you have a 10,000 credit limit, but your balance is 9,500. All right? So you have a 95% credit utilization. As that happens, your credit score goes down. Now, it doesn't even matter if you're making payments regularly and not missing payments or anything like that. Your, Your credit score will get hurt by that. And um, and consumers now have racked up a record amounts of credit and credit card debt. Uh, and at the same time, interest rates on those cards have surged to the highest level ever, averaging 21%. So it's not a good thing for the consumer. And I told you, I think it was last week, that maybe that's why we've seen a surge in Google searches for a pawn shop near me. P-A-W-N, not P-O-R-N. Dirty people. Um, as consumers, you know, pulling off some items to get cash. And just wait till uh, student loan payments restart. This is going to c- crush consumers even more. Now, if you listen to the midweek podcast, uh, uh, and if you haven't, you should go to, to, to listen to it. Uh, I talk about the end of round that the Bonnie administration is doing um, with student loans. They're using the education department to change income requirements that determine the payments on student loans. So uh, if you make 60000 or less, I mean, they cut your payment down. Uh, if you make 50000 or less, it goes to zero, something like that. That's your minimum payment, zero. And after 10 years of making payments, even if the payment is zero, 
the balance is forgiven. So it's a back way, backdoor way of circumventing uh, the Supreme Court's ruling that the president does not have the authority to spend $475 billion of taxpayer money. So this will be challenged also in court. Uh, and my guess is uh, the same court will probably overturn this as well, and they'll figure out another way to be uh, in contempt of Congress and the Supreme Court, because that's what this administration is. You'll learn as, uh, as the show progresses here, your government and your president is so corrupt right now. They are so lawless, and they don't care. And so far, there's been little consequences to it, and that's the scary part. And uh, we'll get to that later in the program. Uh, so inflation is a big problem for Americans. You know, their, their wages have not gone up enough to compensate for the rise of prices. And, you know, if you think inflation is only 3% that the government's telling you now, uh, you should have your head examined because it's a lot more than that. Oh, by the way, uh, I'm getting indications now um, about what the Social Security cost of living adjustment is going to be. Um, starting in January of next year, because the way they figure it out, they figure it out through the fiscal year of the United States, which ends on October 1st. Uh, So we have, uh, you know, 10 months of the inflation figures, the CPI uh, on the books already. And it looks like it's going to be the lowest cost of living adjustment in in three years. I mean, last year, I think it was 8.7% increase. And the year before that, I think it was 5.6 or 5.9%. it looks like uh, they're estimating that the cost of living adjustment is going to be 3%. And that's why it makes sense for the government to underestimate inflation. Because your Social Security is based on it. And uh, so we'll keep an eye on it. There's still two more months of the CPI. Uh, the CPI has been coming down. Not that inflation is coming down. Prices are still going up. They're just going up at a slower rate or at least a reported slower rate than they were last year. And it's 3% right now. But if you calculate, and they made so many changes to how they calculate the CPI, it's not even a good number anymore. And all the revisions they've made to the calculation has always been to make inflation look less than it really is. And economists who who figure out inflation using the same calculations they used in in, in 1980s still say we have double-digit inflation, not 3%. But anyway, if you're on Social Security, uh, you will get a raise. It's not going to be a big one, but um, 3%. Another thing we're seeing more and more of now in stores is shrinkflation. I've been talking about that for years. I mean, you pay the same amount for the package except that it's two ounces less or there's uh, less product in it. And it's kind of a way of tricking you. Uh, Consumers don't like uh, uh, high prices. They don't like to see prices go up. And just because your prices is going up doesn't mean that companies that make the products, their prices aren't going up. They're going up too. But many companies um, uh, don't like to pass those costs to their consumers by raising the price of the package. It's bad for business. So what they do is they just shrink the packages or put less stuff in the same size box. Price remains the same, but you get less product. That's called shrinkflation. Uh, And I guess they hope that that consumers won't notice it. But the effect is the same. It's rising prices. It's inflation. 
somebody uh, somebody I was listening to a commentator he was calling it ninja inflation and it's really a sneaky price increase that's all it is here's some examples uh, double rolls of bounty paper towels have shrunk from 98 selecta size sheets to just 90 triple rolls were downsized from 147 selecta size sheets per roll to 135 the standard 92-ounce bottle of Gain detergent is now 88 ounces. A family-sized bags of double-stuffed Oreos now have four fewer cookies in each bag. I don't know. Did the family shrink? I don't think so. A package of Sara Lee blueberry bagels was reduced from five to four bagels as the package weight dropped by 3.3 ounces. Green Giant frozen broccoli and cheese sauce packages were reduced from 10 ounces to 8 ounces with no change in the advertised num- number of servings per package. Now, this started a few years back. I mean, ice cream companies, if you remember, the standard package was 56 ounces. Now it's 48 ounces. And now you, you buy a bag of potato chips, you open it up, it's, you have to go halfway down before you touch a potato chip. So that's just uh, another example of inflation. Uh, It's here to stay. It's not going anywhere. Uh, It may, the number may may, um, moderate at times, or at least the government will make you believe that it's moderating at times. It's really not. Uh, But uh, after 20 years of of mild inflation, uh, actually longer than that, 40 years, we have to go back to the 1980s. Uh, to see the inflation that we've been experiencing the last couple of years. Uh, now we're going to go through a period, probably a decade if not more, of inflation and maybe even dreaded hyperinflation, the way the government's printing money and the deficits and are, are skyrocketing. As mentioned, banks before in this digital currency, um, we saw some developments this week in the commercial real estate space that is very concerning. And it is regarding office buildings. Now, I've been bringing this to your attention for months now. I said the big problem for the banks is going to be commercial real estate. And we're seeing it this week alone in Baltimore, uh, the hellhole of a city. I don't know. Is there a worse city than Baltimore? Um, Probably San Francisco. New York is not far behind. Uh, Los Angeles. I don't know. All Democratic-run hellholes. Anyway, Baltimore, which I wouldn't set a foot in, um, uh, we saw this week um, uh, a Baltimore office tower was dumped at 63% discount. Imagine that. Uh, A 30-story building was sold in June for $24 million, 63.6% discount versus the tower's 2015 sale of $66 million. So in 2015... A group paid $66 million for this building and now sold it for $24 million. Now, you know there's debt against that building, so it was a short sale. So who eats the difference? Well, the bank does, right? Uh, then a few days later, commercial real estate panic hits Baltimore as second office tower dumped at 69% discount. So there's a fire sale starting in, uh, in Baltimore City. Uh, it's no surprise there. Uh, so this, this, this office building, I'm looking at a picture of it now. Nice building, tall. 
this, this office building has been panic dumped at a 69% discount. One East Pratt Street sold for $55.1 million less than it last traded for, marking the second office tower in Baltimore's central business district to change hands this summer at a steep discount as the troubled local office market resets. So this was a, a short sale. Um, it had sold in March 2018, $80 million. And now it's sold for... Uh, Twenty-five million. Again, who eats the difference? Whoever's holding that debt could be in a form of a bond in some insurance company or pension, uh, or it could be on the books of a bank, and most likely a regional bank. So we're seeing a crash in real estate, at least in in in, in Baltimore. And Baltimore has its own issues. Uh, like I said, it's a Democratic-run hellhole. Uh, Defund the police and everything else. Um, so Starwood Capital's big uh, hedge fund run by a guy named Barry Sternlich. Uh, I've seen him on CNBC a lot. Uh, and uh, his group just defaulted on a $212.4 million mortgage backed by an Atlanta office tower. And Bloomberg interviewed him. I think the interview comes out this weekend. Um, it's not out yet, I don't think. But uh, there's an article that Bloomberg put out interviewing this guy, uh, and he goes on to say, we're in a Category 5 hurricane. It's sort of a, a blackout hovering over the entire industry until we get some relief or some understanding of what the Fed's going to do over the long term. And he said that um, the commercial real estate downturn was sparked by the Federal Reserve, 16 months of aggressive interest rate hikes to tame inflation. And unlike past downturns, not due to reckless speculation. And uh, we're seeing it with offices. We're seeing it with malls. We're seeing it with hotels. Uh, I brought to your attention a few weeks back in San Francisco, two of the biggest hotels. Uh, they gave the keys back to the bank. And now the problem that you have is that we have $500 billion in debt that matures in 2024, that has to be refinanced. How do you refinance a mortgage of $80 million on a, on a $100 million property that now is worth 50 or 40? No bank's going to do that with that collateral. And, and, and what's a building worth? A building is worth what their, their tenants are paying. It's that simple. The value of a building is based on its cash flow. And now with uh, remote Work, which is here to stay, uh, people's fear of um, uh, of crime in the big cities, run by Democrats, by the way. Uh, we're going to see a lot of empty office buildings, and it's just starting now, and it's going to be a big problem. So you got five hundred billion that has to be refinanced. That won't be, again, tighter credit conditions and no collateral. Uh, so they're just going to remember the term jingle now. When people back in the great financial crisis were, uh, were just mailing the keys back to the bank and saying, we're out of here. You know, we owe 300000 on a house. It's worth 200000 Here you go. Take it. Well, we're going to start seeing jingle mail on office buildings, hotels, malls, and we're starting to see it now. And uh, over the next five years, $2.5 trillion of commercial real estate debt 
has to be refinanced. And as we've seen in San Francisco, the inability to refinance property debt due to gigantic vacancy rates are pressuring landlords to sell the properties or walk away from them. And either way, bank gets a hit. Sternlich said there's a very real possibility of a second RTC event. Remember RTC was a resolution trust corp? That was the government entity that was formed uh, to liquidate assets of the savings and loans. Remember the savings and loan crisis three decades ago in the 90s? Um, And he goes on to say you could see 400 or 500 banks that could fail. And they will have to sell this property. You know, so you're going to have like, you know, supply out the gazoo which is only going to pressure properties more. So uh, commercial real estate is going to be the real story. Now, you know the work from home thing? It's a, he, said, he goes on to say this is a U.S. phenomenon. He said if you go to England or Germany, uh, rents are up. Vacancy rates in the top German property markets, Berlin, Frankfurt, Munich, and Hamburg are less than 5%. People are back in the office. You and I go to the Middle East, they're full. We have offices in Asia, they're full. So this is a U.S. situation. So commercial real estate is going to be another big problem for the bank, uh, and uh, we're starting to see it now. Uh, And regional banks are the ones that are most exposed to commercial real estate and uh, to to the mortgages uh, that are tied to them. And we know the regional banks are having big problems right now. And if it wasn't for the Fed bailing them out right now, we would have had cascading failures. But I think it's going to come to a point where the the Fed's not going to be able to do anything about it. All right, let's take a short break. Don't go away. AFM Investments' Lou Skatigna has been serving Ocean County for over 35 years. AFM Investments brings a level of expertise, knowledge, and experience to the Jersey Shore that you would typically have to pursue with a premier investment firm on Wall Street. Whether you need income tax preparation or financial planning, he has the experience to help you with whatever your needs are. For more information, log on to AFMinvestments.net. Securities transactions through Lee Baldwin and Company. Member FINRA and SIPC. Registered advisory services through our Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, a family-owned and operated premier septic installation and repair company with more than a decade of experience in the septic services. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer provides full-service maintenance and cleaning services, pumping septic tanks, repairing broken sewer lines, cleaning of grease tanks for restaurants, as well as real estate septic inspections, repairs, and installations. Phone 732-600-8721 or go to jerseyshoreseptic.com to learn more. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, top quality work at the most affordable rates. Welcome back to the Financial Physician, where we get together two times a week now. We have the main podcast that comes out Sunday morning by 9 o'clock and many times earlier than that. Uh, That's our main podcast of the week. Usually runs about an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes. Uh, And then on Wednesday, uh, Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday evening, we upload our midweek uh, podcast, which is a little shorter. It runs about 30, 40 minutes, uh, and we go over the stuff that I just didn't have a chance to go over uh, on the Sunday podcast. It's just so much to talk about these days, and you'll see that uh, later on in the program. It's just we can't get to it all. Otherwise, this podcast would be three or four hours long, and 
nobody has that attention span. So what do you think about having two podcasts? Is it too much of me? Uh, maybe it's too much to, um, to, to listen to, uh, uh, two different, uh, podcasts with me. Let me know. Uh, send me an email. My email is Lou at the financial physician.com. Lou at the financial physician.com. What do you think of our two podcast, uh, program? Uh, do you want me to cover some things? Uh, you have a comment also, uh, on the Potomatic page where we bring you to from the financial physician.com. If you go there, um, that's where the podcast is. We have a comment sen- section below. Nobody leaves comments. I've turned them on and uh, comment on things. Let me know what you think. Let me know, uh, do you disagree with me? Do you have something, uh, you have a question you want to talk about? You want to, anything you want to talk about regarding this podcast is available on the comments page. As long as people are respectful, um, we'll, we'll do a comment. So let's get a community going. Also, um, you know, the way that this podcast grows now is by uh, listeners, listeners telling their friends about it, listeners uh, emailing the link uh, to their friends and family or putting it on social media. Anything you could do to help us grow the podcast uh, is well appreciated here uh, at The Financial Physician. Uh, let's update markets for you. Uh, this past week, boy, the market's on fire. Uh, it's just hard to believe, given all the things that are going on, that the market is having such a good year. Um, now we'll, we'll have to see how that works itself out the rest of the year. Uh, many market analysts, myself included, believe that there, there, there's a big correction coming in this market. It's really hard to justify, uh, the prices that we're seeing on stocks these days. And the market's being driven mainly by the S and P seven, uh, seven biggest tech stocks are really driving the markets. Apple recently hit $3 trillion market cap. Imagine that. Doesn't seem it didn't seem like it was long ago that it just hit a trillion. Uh, you have one company, one U.S. tech company, that's worth three trillion dollars. You know how many countries don't have uh, a GDP anywhere near that? Uh, it's it's quite remarkable. Can you justify it? I don't know, um, but it's the Facebooks of the world: Apple, Microsoft, Google, Amazon. Uh, these are the companies that are driving the market, uh, especially the Nasdaq. Uh, you take these seven companies out, the market's not doing well. It really isn't. Um, which goes to show you how these high-powered, big market cap stocks uh, really are driving everything. For the week, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up a little over 2%. Pretty good week, up 6.28% for the year. So the Dow was starting to catch up. And I think some money's going into the, the big Dow stocks uh, after a big run-up in the tech stocks. Uh, people are looking for value. S&P 500 up uh, 0.69% for the week, but having a very healthy 18.15% gain for the year. Again, you look at the S&P, uh, 493, not doing so good. It's the S&P 7 that's really driving things. NASDAQ actually was down for the week, uh, down 0.57% but still up uh, very, very healthy, 34% uh, for the year, making up all the losses of last year. Um, pretty quite spectacular. Interest rates are, are remaining uh, stubbornly high. The 10-year Treasury, uh, 3.84 after recently being over 4%. And it's the 10-year Treasury that drives a lot of interest rates in the economy. Uh, and that's certainly true of um, mortgage rates, the 30-year fixed-rate mortgage, uh, just shy under 7% right now. Very interesting. I read an article this week about the, the real estate market, and uh, the real estate market has no turnover right now. 
less than 1% of homes are turning over or being sold, which is historically low. Uh, there's no inventory. Uh, you got two things going on here. People don't want to trade in their 3.5% mortgage uh, for a 7% mortgage, so they're not trading up. They don't want to, they don't want to sell, uh, so you don't have any inventory. Uh, and then you have people who can't afford 7% mortgages, so they're not out buying the little inventory that's available for sale. It's a very, very weird dynamic in the real estate market. And certainly it's not good for real estate agents uh, who obviously make commissions on turnover uh, when only one in 100 homes uh, is turning over this year. Uh, we're going to have to watch that dynamic play out. Gold and silver, having a good run here. Uh, we're starting to see the dollar weakening. Uh, gold, uh, a little bit of a sell-off late in the week, but uh, still $1,964 an ounce. Uh, silver, just under $25 an ounce. Uh, and it looks like the precious metals are really poised uh, to have a really good run uh, the rest of the year. I think we're going to see record highs, certainly on gold, uh, which is you know $100 away from being at record high. Silver, has to double to hit record highs, so it's got a long way to go. But I think uh, precious metals is probably the place to be right now uh, and will be for a long time uh, as the Federal Reserve continues to uh, debase our currency and as our government continues to spend trillions we don't have. Uh, it's um, it's inevitable that we're going to see major, major moves uh, in uh, at precious metals. Uh, oil uh, is one of the things driving inflation, uh, $77 a barrel. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's going to go over 100 again. I'm pretty sure about that. Uh, so uh, we're going to keep an eye on energy prices. And lastly, uh, cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, uh, $29,886. It seems to have found the home right here on either side of 30000 Now, in the, with the economy uh, starting to contract, uh, and this is not something we just saw over the last year. We've been seeing this for some time. But a lot of people uh, in their late 50s, early 60s are being terminated or being laid off, let go, downsized, kicked to the side of the street, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and they're out of nowhere. Many people don't see it even coming. Uh, and uh, I know that because they come to me in distress. Uh, what do I do, Lou? I mean, I, I just lost my job. I mean, I'm not ready to retire yet. Yeah, what do I do? I'm 62 years old. Who's going to hire me? And we're seeing tens of thousands of people in finance and retail uh, are facing widespread layoffs. And many of these people, as I said, are nearing retirement age, but not quite there yet. So what do you do? The first thing you do is uh, I, I would find a certified financial planner as quick as I could uh, and sit down with them. But sometimes, many times in my practice, uh, I'm able to take some of the stress off these people because they just don't know how to manage what they have, how to get through. And I could show them how to do that many times or at least develop a strategy for them. Or if nothing else, at least get the proper picture of where they are right now uh, and the best way to manage going forward. So the first thing we do when someone comes in is say, all right, let's see where your money is right now. I mean, what do you have? Is it retirement money? Is it 401k? Is it, um, do you have after-tax money, which would be best that you could tap into to get yourself through? Uh, so we do a balance sheet. Uh, we look at all your accounts. How much do you have? Where is it? And what's the tax status of that money? In other words, is it going to be taxable to use it? 
by taking it out of an IRA or a 401k, uh, or is it coming out of existing savings uh, that is not a retirement plan, uh, which is after-tax money, which is best, obviously. And the problem a lot of people have nowadays is that the only money they have is their 401k because they haven't been able to save any money due to a variety of factors, lifestyle, college for kids, um, uh, just being financially irresponsible, what have you. So the only money they're able to save and not touch is their 401k. So, you know, hey, you know, now I'm retired. I got a million-dollar 401k. Uh, I can roll it over to an IRA and start taking money out of it if I'm over 59 and a half. And, uh, but the problem is every dime I take is taxable. And that's a big problem when you start taking Social Security, too, because that taxable income from that IRA account or 401k is going to make your Social Security taxable. So it's kind of a bad thing. That's why it's so important for people to build net worth outside of your retirement plan. So everything you take as income isn't taxable, including your Social Security. The next big issue I have for them is health care. All right, let's talk health care. You're 62. You're not going to get Medicare to you're 65. Uh, how are you going to pay your health insurance? That is so important. Uh, and that's the big stickler for people uh, when either they're planning to retire before 65 or they are being forced to retire before they're 65, uh, is how do I pay for health care? It's, it's, it's so outrageous, uh, the cost. You want to talk about inflation? How about inflation of health care premiums? It's just unbelievable. I still can't believe, for my wife and I, I pay 2000 a month for my uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield. And you would think, with that kind of money, it pays for everything, right? No, it does not. It does not. It has deductibles. It has co-pays. If I go to an emergency room, it costs me $1,000. And you say to yourself, geez, what am I paying these premiums for? Uh, but healthcare is the big issue, all right? And, uh, and, and then we come to a strategy. Okay, so, you know, we c- uh, I say, look, uh, you could use up this money, this money. This will get you through the next year. In the meantime, obviously, you're going to try to find, you know, a, a replacement job. Uh, and even if it's part-time right now while you're looking uh, that's less money you have to take out of your savings and the longer it'll last. Uh, but it's hard out there right now. You know, if you lose a job that's paying you 150000 a year uh, and you're 62 years old, good luck trying to find a job that's going to come anywhere near that. Uh, it's just not going to happen because corporate America is trying to get rid of people like you with high salaries, with uh, defined benefit pension plans and things like that. So it's a, it's a tragedy. Uh, And the thing is, is we all do our retirement planning with a certain date in mind uh, that we're going to retire at based on, again, Medicare, when do I want to take Social Security, uh, how much time do I have to put money away and make sure I have enough of a nest egg to retire comfortably. Uh, And then all of a sudden, the rug is is yanked out from under you. It's a very stressful thing to have happen. And I've had grown men weeping in my conference room. uh, uh, And it's not a rare thing either. Uh, you know, it affects them psychologically, their self-worth, all kinds of things happen. The best thing you could do, though, is um, uh, meet with a a good certified financial planner as soon as you possibly can. Because we'll give you a bird's eye view of what this um, post-retirement income is going to be. Do you take Social Security early 
well, maybe you have to do that. Maybe that's, uh, there's no issue there. You have to do it. Maybe you could use some other assets that you have uh, and postpone taking Social Security by using some savings and, and therefore increasing your lifetime benefit. Uh, we're going to look. Do you have a pension plan? Uh, you know, where's your income going to come th- uh, from through your retirement? Uh, do you have um, life insurance you could borrow against? And, and that kind of thing. So it, it's a good time to, to really, you have the time in your life now uh, <laughs> that you're laid off and you're not going to work. Use this time to get financially organized. Make sure your estate planning is up to date. Everything's the way you want it. Uh, review your investment portfolio for risk because now um, your, your, your situation is totally different. Uh, you can't lose money in the market at this stage of your life, especially if you need it over the next few years uh, to get by. Uh, not a good thing. It's a really, 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 really uh, tragic thing that's going on in America right now, especially people who work for major corporations who just want to get rid of you. You're too expensive to them. And you could be loyal to a company for 30, 40 years, and one day you come in, and there you are as your pink slip. All right? Your email doesn't work. Give us your, your key pass and have a nice life. If you're lucky, they'll give you some, some severance. And that's another thing we want to look at, too. Did you get any severance? Uh, that'll buy you some time as well. So uh, you should be doing this retirement plan regardless if you're laid off or not. You know, as you get closer to retirement, you really should see a financial planner. And I'm not talking somebody who just sells you investments. I'm talking about a comprehensive financial planner who who knows uh, taxes, who knows corporate benefits, who knows estate planning, uh, taxation, you know, all that stuff. And that's where a good certified financial planner will come in. And I'm seeing, I can't tell you how many people I'm seeing now in that situation. And uh, that's why I felt compelled to bring it up. Well, this week, uh, the dam burst around the Biden family crime syndicate uh, as uh, whistleblowers came forward, two from the IRS uh, and one from the FBI just uh, confirming the graft, the bribery, the influence peddling, uh, the corruption of the FBI uh, in uh, preventing uh, Hunter Biden uh, from facing felony charges on tax evasion. Meanwhile, uh, Donald Trump has indictments all over the place, more are dropping any day now, and then some from Georgia come in. It just doesn't end uh, with going after Donald Trump. Um, but it's obvious this week the evidence that came out is, is so damning uh, that there's no way I would bet everything I have that Joe Biden is not the candidate for president for the Democratic Party. He's done. Him and his family, just they, they just can't cover it up anymore, though they're trying as much as they can, but the information coming out from credible whistleblowers is just too much, and I think more is to come. Uh, so we had uh, uh, the second IRS whistleblower. Now, this guy was anonymous for a while. Uh, he didn't want to come forward uh, with his name, but he finally did, uh, and he was in front of the uh, the House Oversight Committee, uh, and his name is Joseph Ziegler, uh, senior IRS uh, executive. He was uh, alongside uh, another guy named Shapley, uh, who is uh, 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 also uh, higher up in the IRS, who was working on this case. Uh, and it is, as he said, that, you know, they were told to stand down, basically, uh, and slow walk the case, wait for statute of limitations to go away. Uh, the heads up was given to um, 
uh, the Bidens, when they went to go interview them. Uh, it's just corruption at the highest level of the FBI. I mean, it is just, I mean, we're talking about Soviet Union style, KGB stuff. I mean, this, this, is, this is unbelievable uh, what they're trying to get away with here. Uh, and it's all crumbling down. Uh, now, that, look, if this was Donald Trump or a Republican, they'd be in jail already. Uh, but they've tried to cover it up. The Democrats ran Congress uh, the last few years and um, would never bring this to the light of day. And thankfully, the, the Republicans barely won a House. You would never heard of any of this stuff if it wasn't for that because Nancy Pelosi would never have allowed it to come out because the Democrats you know, don't care about the rule of law. As long as it benefits them and their people, they don't care, and they would cover it up. So I'm going to play for you uh, part of... Um, Mr. Ziegler uh, being uh, questioned by, of course, a Republican, because the Democrats, all they want to talk about is Donald Trump. They don't want to have anything to do with this. Uh, but listen to uh, this exchange uh, with uh, the IRS uh, whistleblower named Joseph Ziegler. By the way, he's gay. He's a Democrat. Uh, and he makes that clear there that he has uh, no political axe to grind here. So you can't say, well, this is a partisan thing here. Because uh, he's a Democrat, uh, so uh, uh, that that makes a big difference, I guess it should. Anyway, uh, otherwise, you know, the media and everything would say he's a he's a partisan hack, and he's making it up to hurt Joe Biden, and that's not the case. And he volunteered that information. With you, specific payments made to Hunter Biden and the Biden family. Democrats and left wing media are also saying there's no evidence. But let's get into the evidence, Mr. Ziegler. I'm going to direct you to pages 99 and 100 of your transcript. How much money did Hunter Biden and his associates receive from the Romanian company you identified? So that amount would be uh, from Romania. So the approximate total transfers from the Romania company would have been 3.1 million to everyone. 3.1 million. How much did Hunter Biden and his business associates receive from State Energy HK Limited through the Robinson Walker LLC? So total transfers from State Energy HK to Rob Walker was 3 million. 3 million. Was there a $100,000 payment from CEFC Infrastructure to Owasco PC, Hunter Biden's professional corporation? Uh, yes, Chairman. Approximately how much was transferred to Hunter Biden and his business associates through Hudson West 3? So the total transfers from Hudson West 3 to everyone was 3.7 million. 3.7 million. How much money did Hunter Biden and his business associates receive from the Ukrainian company Burisma? Uh, Burisma paid to everyone involved 6.5 million. 6.5 million. Burisma also paid Blue Star Strategies and a law firm, hundreds of thousands of dollars, bringing the total Burisma payments to over $7 million. Is, is that correct? That is correct. $7.3 million. $7.3 million. Between 2014 and 2019, this brings the total amount of foreign income streams received to approximately $17 million, correct? That is correct. What was the purpose of analyzing money from foreign sources, and do you have documents to support your findings? Uh, so for the, the purpose of documenting the foreign sources is we, as a part of a normal international tax investigation, we have to figure out where the money's come, coming from. You have to follow the money trail. And as a part of that process, we have to 
follow different transactions, identify different foreign entities that might be paying a person, and then we go and get those records. Right. And hopefully you can provide that to the to the committee. So yeah, yeah. Any any records regarding those transactions, we can. We love evidence on this side of the we of can. The aisle. Boy, the numbers just keep getting bigger and bigger, don't they? Uh, and now it's seventeen million. You'll find out a little while that Burisma it was it was ten million at least. Uh, so we're up to seventeen million dollars documented wire transfers uh, involving the Bidens. I mean, this is I don't know what you need, uh, what other what other evidence you need, but there's some more coming. Uh, now I'm going to play for you. Uh, uh, Representative uh, Biggs is uh, asking um, the whistleblower Gary Shapley uh, and uh, Ziegler about the big guy. Who is the big guy? Now, you'll see later on uh, they ask him about uh, Attorney Wolf. Well, it's, it's Assistant United States Attorney Wolf, uh, who was investigating this, uh, said that she did not want to uh, ask about the big guy. So she knows there's something going on there, but they don't want to touch it. So listen to some more of their, their testimony. On the, on the day of action, you guys were intending to interview 12 people, one of whom was Rob Walker, a, a business associate of Hunter Biden. Um, and in particular, you wanted to talk about, uh, I think the quote is, 10 held for, by H for the big guy, yeah. right? Um, so what... Who was the big? Who did you infer that the big guy may be? So, all I can do is speak to the evidence there. What I can say is, I think I know what you're referring to. Is when we're preparing for that, we're preparing for that interview, and we're referencing that email ten held by H for the big guy, and from what I understand, that to be President, his dad, President Biden. Okay. Um, and- so I'm sorry, I just want to ask Mr. Shapley uh, a similar question, because the AUSA, AUSA Wolf interjected, and I'm reading from your transcript now, and said she did not want to ask about the big guy, and stated she did not want to ask questions about dad, quote, in quotes. Who did, you, who did you take dad to be when she refers to dad? The father of the subject is President Biden. President Biden. And so even by her response... She's inferring that Joe Biden may be involved in Hunter Biden's transactions. So pretty damning stuff. Of course, the Democrats didn't care for anything about it. Uh, doesn't mean anything to them. They didn't ask any substantive questions. All they want to talk about is Trump. Uh, but this is, I mean, how much evidence do you need, like I said? And there's more to come. Uh, later in the day, uh, or the next day, Senator Chuck Grassley released a, a bombshell FBI document dated July 30th, 2020, in which a respected confidential human source, the FBI has these sources these, that they pay, you know, they're involved in different areas of other governments and they get information from. Uh, so this guy's respected. He's been paid a lot of money by the FBI. So uh, what he says it should be taken uh, pretty much as gospel. So the human source alleged that then-presidential candidate Joe Biden and his son Hunter Biden received $10 million in bribes. And this is the infamous form FD-1023 that uh, the Congress was trying to get its hands on and was fully redacted, and then they wouldn't allow it to be released to the public. I mean, the FBI's been sitting on this for years, and it's so damaging. It's unbelievable. 
Uh, and um, so Hunter Biden is getting paid 80000 a month to be on the board of directors of Burisma. Uh, and apparently from this document, he was there for one reason only. Uh, because uh, the prosecutor in Ukraine uh, was looking into illegal activities of Burisma, uh, and they wanted Hunter Biden, through his father, uh, to do something about it. And it's laid out right here. This is what the guy's saying. Uh, of course, the media is saying that um, it's not verified. All right. Uh, and, and in it, uh, it said that um, Hunter was stupid and uh, his... Slochevsky's dog was smarter. Slochevsky is uh, an executive at Burisma. Uh, but the Burisma boss needed to keep Hunter Biden on the board so everything will be okay. Burisma CEO said it cost $5 million to pay one Biden and $5 million to another Biden to fire the prosecutor investigating Burisma. Hunter will take care of those issues through his dad, although Hunter was stupid and his dog was smarter. Now, if you recall, I played this oh, at least a year ago, is you have Joe Biden uh, doing an informal interview uh, at the Council of Foreign Relations. And he brings up that he held a billion dollars hostage from the Ukrainian government uh, if they would not fire the prosecutor. And uh, I'll play it for you again. You want to talk about evidence? It's right there. I guess the... 12th, 13th time to Kiev, and, uh, and I was going supposed to announce that there was another billion-dollar loan guarantee. And I had gotten a commitment from Poroshenko and from uh, Yatsenyuk that they would take action against the state prosecutor, and they didn't. So they said they had, they were walking out to the press conference, said, no, nah, I said, I'm not going to, or, or we're not going to give you the billion dollars. They said, you have no authority, you're not the president. The president said, I said, call him. Uh, I said, I'm telling you, you're not getting a billion dollars. I said, you're not getting a billion. I'm going to be leaving here. And I think it was, what, six hours? I looked at it and said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> Got fired. And they put in place someone who was solid. Now, if you recall, uh, President Trump was impeached over a phone call to Ukraine asking that they investigate the corruption of the Bidens. He got impeached for it. And here you got Joe Biden as vice president shaking down Ukraine uh, and then being paid $10 million, him and Hunter, for doing so. I mean, it sounds like an open and shut case to me. Uh, but you would think, you know, and you'd think that the, the media would be all over this. Look at this information. Well, NBC calls the two respected IRS veterans so-called whistleblowers. What's that mean, so-called whistleblowers? That's what they are. These are not lower-level people. These are the people that were investigating Hunter Biden. Uh, so uh, Joe Scarborough said, we have these so-called whistleblowers who are saying, yeah, we're really angry. It's just a clown show with these House Republicans, isn't it? Right. So instead of just saying, oh, my God, that's pretty revelatory. Could he did he really do that? No, they, they, they try to denigrate um, uh, uh, the, the, the wishable. And that's what the Democrats do. They always attack the person who's giving you the information. Uh, and on Friday morning, uh, Maria Bartiromo discussed the media reaction 
to, again, this bombshell report on Joe Biden's multi-million dollar bribery scandal with Ukrainian officials in exchange for pressuring the president to fire lead prosecutor Victor Shokin. Shokin. Uh, Hunter and Joe Biden demanded $5 million each in exchange for forcing the Ukrainian leader to fight it. So, uh, and she goes on to say that the ABC, CBS, NBC News spent 527 minutes covering the Trump indictment and zero seconds on Biden's bribery allegations. Zero. They didn't even report it. Matter of fact, MSNBC didn't even televise the hearing. Uh, they just stick their head in the sand. They don't report it. Never happened. That's how corrupt they are. You have a corrupt president. You have a corrupt FBI and DOJ. And you have a corrupt media. All working together to cover up what is probably the most corrupt president in the history of our country. And the big concern to me, it should be to everybody, is how compromised is this president right now? He's been getting money from China, Romania, Russia, Ukraine. Does Zelensky tell him, look, you keep giving us arms another billion? Oh, yeah, last week it was another $1.8 billion we're sending over there. It just never ends. Uh, is he on a leash with Zelensky? He says, Zelensky says, look, we got all this information on you, and I'm sure they do. Uh, and you're going to help us to the end, even if that means World War III and a thermonuclear war and the extinction of mankind, but because we have dirt on you, you do as we say. I want to know if my president is compromised. Same is true of China with all the money that's come from that. Just unbelievable. And they just don't care. This is what Maria Bartiromo had to say Friday morning. Let's just call it out. Mainstream media is just complicit in all of this. ABC News completely ignoring this explosive whistleblower hearing. And uh, Rudy Giuliani chimed in on this as well. He um, he was on uh, the war room with Steve Bannon. And Steve was asking him, with all this evidence that comes out, I mean, would you have been able to prosecute him? You, you prosecuted the mob. And this is what, what Giuliani had to say. This is probably the most verified informant information I've ever seen. It's been verified by about um, three years of disclosures, including actual testimony that people uh, have seen or can see that's been tape recorded. I mean, Shokin has testified, the guy who was fired, the guy who actually, who actually uh, fixed the case, Lusenko has testified. I mean, there's direct testimony. Biden confessed to it when he when he was in front of the Atlantic Council. Uh, the hard drive contains at least five texts that would be used as admissions in the trial. Best one being that Hunter tells his texts his daughter straight out, "I've had to give half my income for the last thirty years to Pop." Uh, I, like they say, well, there's no evidence that money went to Pop. Yeah. How about his son says he gave it to him? <laughs> I've never had better evidence than that, Steve. This is like Alice in Wonderland. The the the, the, the uh, Rudy, you you took down the you. Everybody saw the movie Godfather when they're sitting around the table with the five families. The movie, the, I think the timing is in the late forties or early fifties before the move to Vegas. But you actually, as a prosecutor, you took down the five families. 
Do right. you have as much information? Oh. Do you have as much evidence to take down the Biden crime family as you had to take down the five families of the New York mafia, sir? Uh, I mean, without exaggeration, Steve, this would be the strongest case I've ever seen. I've never seen a stronger case. There are literally five or six direct witnesses who actually can tell you the crime. Uh, and I'm, I'm adding, I don't count on uh, my callers or Shevsky to uh, testify, the guy who, was, who gave the information, uh, because uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's an organized criminal and he's, he's suspected of murder. But if he testified, now you have seven witnesses. And, and you have bank records. You have a uh, money laundering transaction of $3 million that goes to the Bidens. That's just on paper. You don't need a witness for it. I, honestly, I've never seen more evidence than that. And to say that this is not verified is just a lie. I'm not a lawyer, and I probably could successfully prosecute the case against the Bidens. But more and more whistleblowers are going to come out. And just remember, there is supposedly, I think, 17 audio tapes or something that uh, they have in Ukraine uh, uh, regarding Biden being on two of those phone calls and Hunter on the other. Uh, that's damning as well. So the dam is bursting. Uh, uh, the Democrats will start abandoning Biden once they get the they get the call that 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 Biden is not going to be the the candidate, uh, and they'll throw him under the bus. The media will start getting involved in this, and there's no way they could hold this back anymore. I mean, the evidence, as Giuliani just said, is this, it's a cut and dry case. It's the easiest case he would ever have to prosecute. So, uh, and more and more of this information is going to come out. The Bidens are bad people, man. And apparently Joe Biden has been a crook his whole career. Uh, but my main concern is, is the president of the United States a compromised individual? And uh, is he beholden to foreign countries? Uh, if that's the case, that's treason. I mean, uh, and, and, and how the Democrats and the media can just ignore this, I don't know. But I do know. I do know because they're vile people, all of them. Uh, and you'll see that now that I'm going to bring to your attention. Uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., was in a, a House hearing that the Republicans brought him in. Now, keep in mind, this is a Democrat with the last name Kennedy, of all people. And it was a hearing on censorship. And apparently, Robert F. Kennedy, he heads the Children's Health Defense. Uh, it's an organization uh, that is concerned about autism and vaccines and how it's affecting children. Uh he says he's not anti-vax. He just believes vax should be studied well and they should be tested and everything else. And he was uh, against the, the COVID vaccine, as was I. Uh, and they started censoring him, uh, the uh, Twitter and all that stuff. So, so he, was, he was a witness at this hearing and the Republicans wanted him there. Now, the Democrats hate him now because he's running primary against Biden. Uh, so he's to be destroyed, all right? So here's a... A hearing on censorship, and the Democrats have a vote to censor him at the hearing <laughs> and not have him speak. It's just, you can't make this stuff up. They are vile people. And um, I'm going to play a little bit of his opening statement, which, which he threw to the side because the Democrats had 102 uh, representatives, Democratic representatives uh, in the House of Representatives, uh, sign a letter stating that he shouldn't be there. And they're trying to tie him to racism and anti Semitism. Because he was quoting a National Institute of Health study that said different species, not species, but uh, different um, uh, 
ethnic uh, groups uh, were less likely to get COVID for whatever physical reasons there were. And he he pointed out that the the study uh, singled out Ashkenazi Jews and um, and and Chinese that they don't get affected as much from COVID. And so he quoted this study. So now they're trying to label him a racist and an anti-Semite. And he took exception to it. He threw away his prepared remarks, and uh, this is what he had to say. And, and by the way, I want to say this while I'm on the record, that in my entire life, and why I'm under oath, in my entire life, I have never uttered a phrase that was either racist or anti-Semitic. I have spent my life fighting my professional career, fighting for Israel, for the protection of Israel. I have a better record on Israel than anybody in this chamber today. I'm the only person who has publicly objected to the $2 billion payout that the Biden administration is now making to Iran, which is a, is a, a genocidal program. I'm the only one who's objected to that. I fought more ferociously for Israel than anybody. But I am being censored here through this target, through, through, through smears, through misinterpretations of what I've said, through lies, through association, which is a tactic that we all thought we had been discredited and dispensed with after the Army McCarthy hearings in the 1950s. But those same weapons are now being deployed against me to silence me. I know many of the people who wrote this letter. I don't believe there's a single person who signed this letter who believes I'm anti-Semitic. I do not believe that. There is no evidence of that. I want to say something I think that's, that's more important, and it goes directly to what you talked about, ranking member, which is the... the the need, the, the, this toxic polarization that is destroying our country today. And this is what these vile Democrats do to people. They label you a racist, an anti-Semite, uh, and, and you could tell from how he's responding to this that it's all bull. And he knows it. They know it. But that's their, they don't care. They don't care if they ruin people's lives, their reputations. They don't care. These are real vile people, and I call them demoncrats because they are all demons. Uh, and now, it was um, Debbie Washerman Schultz. What a pig this person is. What a vile human being this person is. Uh, and she had her own problems in her past, but of course she's a Democrat, so she gets away with it. Uh, but she, she made a motion after his opening statement there. And the motion was to go into executive session, which means no cameras, no public of it, because she, did, she wanted to censor him. She didn't want him to talk. And they voted along party lines, and uh, it was 10 Republicans voted you know, to have him there, and eight all Democrats voted against him, saying we're against hate speech, you know, and had nothing to do with hate or anything like that, but it doesn't matter. He's running against Biden right now. Biden's a candidate, and he's to be destroyed. Uh, regardless of whether he's a Democrat or a Kennedy or whatever. It just goes to show you how vile they are. Now, even after that, Debbie Wasserman Schultz uh, started questioning him. Now, listen to this vile person, this demon, and how she, 
she knows it's not true. He just went through this whole emotional thing about it, and she didn't care. She had her prepared statements, and if you listen, she doesn't want him to answer, just yes or no. You know, they don't want you to, to expand. They just want to say yes or no because they want to keep hitting you with these questions in the time that they have allotted, and they want to put you off. But uh, uh, listen. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Chairman, we respectfully requested that you rescind Mr. Kennedy's invitation to be appear here due to his repeated and very recent statements that spread dangerous anti-Semitic and anti-Asian conspiracy theories and attempted to move into executive session because House rules prohibit public testimony that degrades or defames people. His reckless rhetoric helped fuel anti-Semitic incidents, which for the record are at the highest level in the United States since 1970. They have nearly tripled in the last six years. Since you gave Mr. Kennedy a megaphone today, I want to give him a chance to correct his statements and prepare some of the harm that he's helped cause. Mr. Kennedy, you're well-educated. So yes or no, please. Are you aware that for centuries, Jews have been scapegoated and blamed for causing illnesses like Black Plague and more recently COVID? I am. Those are known as blood libel, and they are one of the worst, the most disturbing parts of uh, human history. Good. I'm glad to know that, of course, that you, that you acknowledge that. Of course, it's true and well documented that this pernicious form of anti-Semitism led to centuries of discrimination, even horrific pogroms and massacres, and it still fuels deadly violence today. Yet last week, you floated a baseless conspiracy theory that the coronavirus was bioengineered to target Caucasians and black people, but to spare Ashkenazi Jews and Chinese people. Mr. Kennedy, your bizarre, unproven claim echoes that same historic slander of labeling Jews and Chinese people as a race, and that Jews, and in this case Chinese people, somehow managed to avoid a deadly illness that targets other groups for death. You do see that, yes or no? You're misstating. No, 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 no. Uh, you I, are... quoted, I quoted what you said earlier, and it, it is directly what you said. So just ask me, uh, yes no, or no. I was, I was describing... An NIH-funded study. No, 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 you didn't cite any. I was, I was describing an NIH-funded study by Cleveland Clinic Reclaiming scientists. my time. Reclaiming my time. You did not you, reference. Reclaiming Published in USC Mr. Medical, Chairman, which is, is one mine. of The time is mine. I'm reclaiming it. Please ask the witness to stop talking. You asked me a question. Reclaiming I, let me Allow me to answer my question. Mr. Chairman, I'd like about 10 uh, seconds the back. Time, the you time belongs. You are slandering me time incorrectly. To the, time belongs You're saying is dishonest. Time belongs to the gentlelady from Florida. Myself. Mr. Chairman, I belongs to the gentlelady from Florida. I'd like 15 seconds back. We will be happy to give you that. Thank you so much. You did not cite any study like you are citing here now during that conversation. You referenced no study at all. You simply labeled Jews and Chinese people as a race. And you also said that somehow... They managed to avoid a deadly illness that targets other groups for death. You don't see that. You're trying to rewrite history here. Gentlemen, Mr. Chairman, I have unanimous consent request. The gentleman from Kentucky is recognized for UC. I ask unanimous consent to introduce into the record a study that Mr. Kennedy just referenced. Uh, new insights into genetic susceptibility of COVID-19. Uh, the main body said that they investigated genetic susceptibility to COVID-19 by examining DNA polymorphism in ACE2 and TM. PRSS2, those are receptors for COVID in 81,000 human genomes, and they found unique genetic susceptibility across different populations. I have another uh, document that I'd like to ask unanimous consent Without objection. to submit, and this is uh, from the FDA, FDA Review of Efficacy and Safety of Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 Vaccine. This is dated December 10th, 2020. And it shows that the uh, Pfizer trial and the USDA broke down the effectiveness of the vaccine into seven different racial categories because this 
was also a concern of theirs, and it would frankly be delinquent not to study the uh, the effects across the But Mr. Kennedy, what a vile bitch! I'm sorry. That's exactly what she is. Now that I'm on the radio, I can say that. But she is. That's exactly what she is. What a monster this woman is. Right, going into the Holocaust and all that kind of stuff and the history of Jews being persecuted, right? And then she wouldn't let him explain that he was quoting a study and it wasn't what he was saying. And by the way, he didn't do this in a speech or anything. He was talking to somebody privately uh, and somebody recorded it. Uh, but she's trying to twist this into making him a hate-filled anti-Semitic, uh, which he certainly is not. Uh, and he made that clear, but she didn't care. There's a purpose to this. And that's why these Democrats, they're, they're so vile. They don't care. There's no sense of, uh, I don't know what the word is, uh, mor- morality uh, or fairness. Um, it's all ends justify the means. And that's why they're turning off so many Americans right now. Uh, and she's the worst of them all. What a vile person she is. Uh, and the thing is, she knows better. She, she's just making this up. And she knows it. And they don't care. Oh, my God. Right, what else uh, we have for you today? Uh, oh, you know, sometimes the elite, the people that control us, spill the beans. Yeah, either intentionally or unintentionally. And uh, I was talking many times in this program, what's going on in the world with these pandemics, these Bioweapon vaccines now that people are dropping dead and dis- disabled, young people. Uh, uh, it's one thing. Now, now they're, they're shutting down uh, farms uh, and growing meat in the lab. Uh, you know, it's like they're trying to kill us. And they've even said it. I mean, Bill Gates said, you know, there's too many people in the world. We have to depopulate. Uh, and it, it almost sounds like they're doing it. They're doing everything they can to kill us. And I even postured the, what if, you know, we're talking about extraterrestrials. We'll bring that up in a second. Uh, The government is now really acknowledging it. Uh, uh, Maybe it's time. Maybe the the extraterrestrials are ready to take over the earth and uh, they're ready to depopulate uh, humans, maybe over the course of a few generations. Many uh, young people now are becoming sterile from vaccines and stuff, uh, that's one way to, you know, kill off and just don't reproduce, right? Uh, then they're, they're, they're messing with our food supply. Now they want to inject, uh, did you hear this one? Uh, they want to inject uh, cattle with mRNA vaccines. So if you, uh, you don't want to get the vaccine, we'll get it into you some way or the other. We'll get that spike protein into you. Matter of fact, um, uh, Jack Nelson, the president and CEO of Whole Cows, based in Waco, Texas, makes no beef about where there being a global war against the cattle industry. I would say there's a war not only against beef, there's a war against Americans being healthy. And he goes on to say that he will not um, sell any beef injected with mRNA vaccines. And he goes on to say, as far as the beef industry itself, it's under attack from multiple angles. For them to say all of a sudden cows are bad, not all animals, just cows, that cows are the ones destroying the climate, it's a scam. And uh, they're trying to do everything they can to kill off our food supply. 
I don't know. Nothing would surprise me now. And he goes on to say, um, uh, we know two things are coming down the line. One, there's going to be mRNA mandates for cattle. That is coming. Well, they better label it right because I'm not eating any beef that has mRNA gene-altering compounds in it. And then you hear now they want to do lab-based uh, chicken and beef. They're going to make it in a, in a tube. I'm not eating any of that either. Maybe I'll have to become a vegetarian. Oh, please, I don't want to do that. But I'm not eating that stuff. So anyway, I say they're trying to kill us off. And, uh, and last week, uh, uh, the astute, well-spoken Vice President Kamala Harris uh, was given a speech on climate change. That's their religion. Abortion and climate change is the Democrats' religion. Uh, and she slipped. And she said, reduce population as a way of helping with climate change. Now, did she mean to say it, or was it a Freudian slip? But listen, even after she says all this, everybody in the crowd's clapping. Did they not hear what she said? Well, listen. Think about the impact on something like public health. When we invest in clean energy and electric vehicles and reduce population, more of our children can breathe clean air and drink clean water. Now, did she mean... Uh, reduce pollution as opposed to population. She probably meant that. But the fact that she said population shows you what's in the back of her mind. And that's called a Freudian slip, where you say something that you really mean, but you didn't really mean to say it. And everybody's clapping. Yeah, yeah, let's reduce population. That'd be great for the planet. Well, they should start with her. That'd be great for the country, not the whole planet. Heartbeat away, my friends. Uh, uh, and if Biden resigns or is forced to resign, that's what you get. Scary. You think it's bad with Biden. We we see what happens with her. Uh, but they won't be the candidates. Uh, I'm 100% certain of that in the 2020 election. We'll see who it is. But it's not going to be her. So the last year or so, they've been uh, leaking out information on UFOs. They call them UAPs now unidentified aerial phenomenon. I don't know who makes these decisions. What's the difference? UFO, UAP, whatever. Uh, but apparently, you know, the military now is starting to acknowledge their existence. Uh, and uh, the question is, why now? Uh, I don't really know. Uh, but uh, John Kirby, you know, the spokesperson for the Pentagon and also sometimes for Biden, uh, was asked about it, and he was kind of frank about it. I was pretty surprised. This was his response to it. Um, is, is this a legitimate issue? Does the administration believe that getting to the bottom of these sightings in the air, is it a real concern? Is it a real legitimate issue as you see it? Yeah. I mean, we wouldn't stood, we wouldn't stood up an organization at the Pentagon to analyze and, uh, and try to collect and, and and, and coordinate the way these sightings are reported if we didn't take it seriously, of course we do. I mean, some of these phenomena we know have already had uh, an impact on our training ranges for, you know, when pilots are out trying to do training in the air and they see these things, they're not sure what they are, and it can have an impact on their ability to perfect their skills. So it already had uh, an impact here, um, and we just want to better understand it. Now, we're not saying what they are, 
what they're not. We're saying that there's something our pilots are seeing. We're saying it has had an effect on some of our training operations. And so we want to get to the bottom of it. We want to understand it better. So, yes. I find that to be fascinating, pretty interesting. When they asked him, are you concerned about it? He goes, yeah, yeah, just a matter of factly. And, uh, but uh, the disclosure there was that they're affecting the training missions of pilots. So these things are, are pretty plentiful out there. Oh, we're not saying what it is or what it isn't, but what is it? <laughs> I mean, it's, this is pretty crazy. And you couple that with uh, all the other stuff going on. Uh, boy, do we live in a crazy world, that's for sure. Now, you, uh, you don't want to miss our midweek uh, podcast. Uh, about half the people who, who listen to the, the Sunday podcast are, are going Wednesday to listen to the podcast. So go to Podomatic, sign up, follow the show, or go to thefinancialphysician.com and give us your email on the website there, uh, and we'll be able to notify you when that is up. It's going to be up probably Wednesday afternoon or early evening, and I don't repeat when I talk about on the midweek podcast, because I don't want people who listen to both to have to, you know, regurgitate it again. So, you know, you're missing stuff um, on our Wednesday podcast, which is about 40 minutes long. I expect any day now, uh, Trump is going to be indicted again by Jack Smith, and this time for January 6th insurrection. I mean, they, they just don't stop. And now it was leaked from Georgia. They're going to come up with racketeering charges against them. Uh, it, it just doesn't end. Uh, meanwhile, the Bidens are guilty of sin. The evidence is all over the place and nothing. Uh, but that's going to change. So join me um, uh, Wednesday for the midweek podcast. Join me Sunday. We'll have this uh, the main podcast up by 9 o'clock Sunday morning. Share the program with people uh, so we can grow the number of uh, listeners to this program because we talk about things on the financial position that you're not going to hear elsewhere. Love your emails, Lou at thefinancialphysician.com. That's Lou at thefinancialphysician.com. Anything you want me to cover on the program. Also, uh, if you want to come in for a no-obligation financial review, now more than ever, it's a very important that you get your finances in order because we're going into some very crazy times. Thanks for joining us and join me for the next edition of The Financial Physician. And always remember, I'm not far, right? Right so far. Have a good one.